Wallawani, welcome. My name's Egan Campbell from Palliative Care Australia in Canberra on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri peoples. Welcome to Thursdays at 3, our regular series of conversations with people living and working at the end of life. Today, we chat to a doctor with over 30 years experience in palliative care. Hello, Dr. Joe Doran, how are you going? Hello, I'm good, thank you, Ian, lovely to see you. You too, you too. Let me fill in some of the gaps around that introduction. Joe currently works for the Gold Coast Hospital and Health Service as a senior consultant and is also an honorary adjunct assistant professor at Bond University's Faculty of Health Sciences and Medicine. Originally from the UK, as you probably heard in Joe's accent, she trained in London and completed her postgraduate training at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital and Prince of Wales Hospital, both in Sydney, before heading to northern New South Wales, beautiful part of our country, where she was Area Medical Director of Palliative Care for 13 years. As an advocate and champion of palliative care, Jo was a co-author on the first National Standards for Palliative Care and Palliative Care Service Development Models. Both documents continue to underpin palliative care service delivery in Australia today. In recognition of her contribution to palliative care, she was awarded the Palliative Care New South Wales Leadership Award by her peers, was nominated for New South Wales Woman of the Year and was recently nominated as Mentor of the Year for her current role. But Jo's greatest love, however, remains the bedside care of patients and teaching, which is now the main focus of her work. Thanks again for being here, Jo. Really looking forward to this conversation. Jo, what I should have also mentioned in your impressive CV is that this September you'll also be MC of the biggest palliative care conference yes. in the Southern Hemisphere, the Oceanic Palliative Care Conference in Sydney, around 1,000 delegates attending. How are you feeling about that gig in September? I'm really looking forward to it, Ian. I think about it every single day. Um, <laughs> Hopefully not nightmares. No, certainly not waking you up in the in the night. No, yeah. no, it's not. It's not waking me up. I just think about it when I'm driving and things. Um, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. I, it's. I've had a look at the conference program. It is so much for everybody. There's a lot there. It's really engaging. It's interesting. And you know, we just had a mini conference in our health service for uh, advanced trainees and uh, allied health and nurse practitioners and and it's post-covid it's so nice to meet each other face to face you know the energy was just lovely people just so ready to re-engage and not not do things online anymore so i think the conference is is going to be fantastic i would strongly encourage you to as soon as we finish sign up if you haven't already um there's there's a lot um broad reach and I think it's going to be very engaging and intimate, even though there's going to be a thousand of us. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it, especially with you as our, our ringmaster in Sydney over, over three days. And as you say, registrations are now open. Head to the OPCC website for, for more info. But Joe, we're here to talk about you and share your wisdom and your work. What got you into palliative care? Here we are 30 years down the mm, road. Where, yeah. where did this start for you? By accident, Ian. I um, so I, as you mentioned, I was training in the UK, and by the end of my intern year, I was ready to leave medicine. I was absolutely exhausted and demoralised, and um, I was actually applying for jobs at the BBC because um, I thought I'd go in a totally different direction. But one of my friends was doing um, general practice training, and I thought if I do GP training. Um, I might be able to work overseas as a volunteer, so I thought I'll persevere with it. 
And I just about finished my general practice training in the south of England. And um, they said, you've got to do six months of palliative care. And I said, no, thank you. Um, because I, I'd done it as a medical student and I just thought, it, I found it too hard, too distressing. But anyway, they said, no, you've got to do it. So off I went to the hospice in Worthing. And within a couple of weeks, I just thought, I found my tribe. And it was just so full of surprises. Um, you know, the patients, it, it, it was just, I think the staff were so wonderful, but also there was so much fun, which was a real surprise. There was, there was engagement. We were really making a difference. We were really having an impact with patients and families. And um, I was just surrounded by really fabulous people who were working hard but in, in a team and it was one of the first times that I really thought we're really making a, a big impact here it was just quite quite the surprise um, and I just thought no I, I feel very very at home having said that I felt very very incompetent and very unprepared but I could see this amazing landscape of people interacting on a very deep level with patients and families um which was like a foreign language but i thought i would really need to understand i really need to be here joe when you say you felt unprepared was that as a clinician or as a human yeah thanks Ian. both so i felt um I could see people engaging on a very um, emotionally mature way and that, and I could see it, but didn't know how to do it. And I just thought this is an, an, a really important part of living and, yeah. um, and engaging in the world. And I really, really wanted to have that ease watching these people do this fluently it was so amazing it just um i really want to be able to be in that space i really want to be able to engage in that way in medicine but in my own life as well does working in palliative care supercharge your life outside of the workplace i think working in palliative care has had a, a really massive impact on my life and um you know, I'd, it, it, in terms, so that emotional engagement, that emotional maturity, I really had to learn that, and that took me a very long time. Um, and but, you know, emotional maturity and, and spiritual maturity are, are very aligned um, in terms of, you know, the in integrity of self and and your place in the universe and how you interact with other people. So, it's had a pr profound effect on my development as a person and also in the spiritual realm, um, mm -hmm. not necessarily religious realm, but um, trying to engage. I have a very broad vision, a view of spirituality and an intimate engagement with a, with a person is, is a moment of spiritual exchange in some ways yes. in, in, my, in, in the way I, I see it. And that can be very, very, minimal but it, it can have a massive impact you know i was listening to someone talk recently and they were saying that we have like our time with p 
patients who are in facing the end of their lives is like five percent our interaction but my goodness we can have a very profound um mm -hmm. impact if we're masterly in our uh, engagement with patients even if it's only for five percent you know that's you know i say to medical students all the time never miss the opportunity to be encouraging um, and you know, lift lift people. Is is that the sales pitch for working in in palliative care, Joe? You you reflected that as a as a student doctor, you were perhaps reluctant to go back into palliative care. Very um, much. But here yeah. you found your tribe, and yeah. now you're teaching palliative care. Yeah. What's the sales pitch to get doctors, nurses, allied health professionals working in palliative care? Do you think? How do you make it attractive to your students? I think, so we have lots of students who come and are reticent, a bit like, and, and hesitant, yeah. but um, I don't do a sales pitch. I just take them along with me on a ward round or, you know, send them with our nursing staff, um, our registrars who will do the sales pitch just by being the people that they are, and which, which sounds really twee, but uh, you really have to embody it. And it's, um really engaging with patients on on an honest on a human level mm -hmm. and people see that interaction and see the difference that it makes and also you know things like pain and symptom control that that's obviously part of our, our armamentarium but it's really the patient interaction they see that and the value that we can bring um and we've had many students who have become very interested in becoming palliative care clinicians, you know, allied health, nursing and doctors from the experience of it rather than, I can't do the sales pitch. We, we do the sales pitch, Ian, we do the sales pitch all the time to the general public. It doesn't sell it. What sells it is the experience, you know, yeah. in the society yeah. we live in, it's people saying things like, you've been so helpful or I wish I'd known about you earlier or, you know, I wish I hadn't been so afraid of palliative care. And it's hard to do the sales pitch in a meaningful way. It's the experience that changes people's minds and hearts, really. If that answers your question, Ian. It, it does. And I, I guess it leads to my next question in that you've, you've painted a really beautiful picture of the broad scope of, of palliative care. You know, it, a palliative care physician does doesn't work with one part of the of the body like like some yeah. of the other medical disciplines do how do you go about helping people understand what the full scope of palliative care is how do you explain it to people you're at a dinner party what do you do joe how do you explain <laughs> it to people <laughs> when, I, yes well I, I jokingly have told people i'm a florist or i've told people i'm a farmer in the past because if you tell people you're a doctor, they show you lumps and bumps and things. And uh, but, but palliative care, they just give you this very sympathetic look, or they'll go, you know, oh, that's old people, or you know. So you you kind of have to explain it. And the 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 best way I explain it is is to say, look, it's very very rewarding, and um, and it's probably a lot more than you think it is. And it's not just about you know the last. Few the last few days people think it's about the last few days still mm -hmm. there's so many myths out there Ian you know I think we're struggling to get this message across 
And I will say to people, it, it's not the last few days, it's the last few months. It might be even longer. I know I have patient, two patients at the moment, young, with curable disease. I'm seeing them for, to help with the pain control. You know, so you know, it's people who are not, not necessarily even, um, you know, end, end of life or have a, a terminal diagnosis. So I, I try and paint it as a much broader picture than that and that it is rewarding. It does have it, its moments, of course. Um, but I, I came across a metaphor and I have to apologise for the person who said this because I can't remember, but it's palliative care is not the rain, we are the umbrella. <laughs> and it's so meaningful because we understand the roadmap for patients who are facing the end of their life. We understand that terrain and the potholes and the hills and the weather. It's different for everybody, but we understand it. And so we can be like guides um, and shepherds. But... Um, of course, patients have to do this themselves, but we can certainly be the support and we know what the weather looks like. We know the weather report. We can carry that umbrella and, and give people that umbrella. And I think that's such a great metaphor to use and makes people understand it in, in broader terms mm -hmm. and, and makes it less scary, you know. Joe, you mentioned... Um... The, the two young patients you're working with at the moment with mm. with curative uh, d diseases. People yeah. might be surprised that palliative care and curative care can work together side by side. Tease yeah. that out for you. Explain how that works. Well, no one was more surprised than the patients themselves when palliative <laughs> care came along. So you have to say, just to let you know, don't be scared by palliative care. We're experts. So I, I'm seeing both of those young patients, both in the 30s, and um, I'm seeing them because they've got cancer and they have really severe pain. Having said that, we've had a massive impact on their pain control whilst they're still going through active treatment to have curative disease. So it, again, that's another message that it's not just um, doom and gloom and end of life care. It, it's, it's really having an impact you know, often you refer to a palliative care service, you're part of that palliative care service, but more often than not, you dip in and out of a palliative care service. So you mm -hmm. might dip into the palliative care service because you have needs that, that have that, uh, you know, that needs expectation, but it's all sorted and you dip out of it again and just get on with your life. So we're, we're there often in the background, Ian, and sometimes we're there temporarily, and sometimes we're there for the duration. So, and, and I'm also, it's, it's not, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, what you, what you talk about there, dipping in and dipping out of a palliative care service, I, I guess can be especially powerful when someone is referred early to a palliative yes. care service with, with their diagnosis, yeah. rather than those last days or weeks, that, yeah. that being referred to a palliative care service early in your diagnosis isn't perhaps... Um, the, the shock that, that people perhaps first interpret it to be, that, as you say, you guys are experts in, in pain management and all sorts of things, and it's a service you can dip in and out of as you go through this journey. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's very hard to get that message across, um, it, you know, and I think people, we, we live in a death-denying society, but we always have, forever, 
you know, forever. It's not particularly now, I don't think. You know, you look at arts and history and, you know, death is everywhere uh, throughout uh, the history of, of, you know, philosophy, art, uh, you know, metaphysics, religion, spirituality. Uh, uh, we have death at arm's length now, um, where it's on the television and it's all around us and not so much in our homes, which it was not that long ago, you know, 80 mm -hmm. years ago, not that long ago. And so now we have death at arm's length and palliative care is associated with death. So it's very, very hard to get past that for patients. But I also think that palliative care, referral to palliative care somehow means you have to give up hope for a lot of patients. And that's is really difficult because I think it's very, very hard to imagine a life without hope and having to acknowledge that this might be a possibility. But the reality is when you get to palliative care, we don't talk about death very much at all, unless you bring it up. Um, yeah. We really much we talk about living um, and how to make the most, what's important to you, what do we need to do to make this happen for you? Jay, you talk about that sense of, of patients perhaps giving up hope when they're mm. referred to a palliative care service and, and, and how, how wrong that is when palliative care is, is focused on life. But you can understand that human, human response. Mm. As, is, there, is that also something that we need to work on within the health profession itself? I, I often hear of perhaps um, doctors and nurses seeing death as a failure. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and doctors and nurses being reluctant to give up hope for their, for their patients and being reluctant to refer their patients to, to palliative care. Is there education we need to do amongst health professionals as well? Absolutely. And I, and I don't know, I don't know how we change the philosophy of it because, you know, the philosophy is really about it's actually about optimism and the palliative care. What you'll find in a palliative care team, which surprises everyone, is that we have a lot of fun and <laughs> we laugh a lot. You know, we laugh a lot with, with patients. The you know, irony is not lost on patients. And um, we are the most optimistic team in the hospital, in my mind, because we're taking yeah. something which on the surface looks terrible and really working hard to make it the best and you know really engaging on a on a human to human level to make things possible so you know i see it all the time you know just for comfort cares and i'm just thinking that's it's so much more than just you know and mm -hmm. uh, um that whole failure in medicine is 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 ever present even now in 2023. Um, you know, that death is a medical failure. It, it, it's very, very hard to shift from and very hard to try and explain to people the value of death. You know, there was this really important paper that came out last year from The Lancet about the value of death. And there are many good things about death and one of which is it makes people step up, Ian. If you know someone in your community is really, really sick, 
people want to step up. We live in this very cyclical world and it's hard to do good. But if someone's really, really sick, people step up. The community raises funds. People want to be their best selves. They want to help out. And if we keep pushing death away as as a failure, and, and of course it's not. It's actually the one thing in life you can't fail at. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is you get a certificate. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to getting my certificate. <laughs> right, you know. But there, there is value in really acknowledging people who are seriously ill and really paying attention to them holistically and uh, and valuing the experience that they're going through rather than dismissing it. Um, and we're still in that mire, unfortunately, in, in, in the Western world, certainly. Joe, this question feels a bit tabloid. I, I hope you can forgive me, but you, you talk go, about go the, on. Me with the it, value go. of death. What's it like to, to be with someone who's, who's dying or, or to be with a family, with a loved one that, that's dying? What's it like to, to be there? I think a really important thing for people to know is that the vast majority of people die very, very peacefully. They die very peacefully, and particularly if they're referred to a palliative care service. And we give medication to make people comfortable and do our absolute best to not make people drowsy. So people think you're gonna get morphine, you're gonna be knocked out, they're gonna increase the morphine, that's gonna hurry things up. So all those myths uh, exist. But the reality is um, getting people comfortable, allaying fears, having family present, having the dog present, you know, um, and trying to make a situation as peaceful as possible. So I am very often not present when patients die because I feel like I'm taking away from the situation. Unless of course there's stress there and, and I can be of, you know, of comfort. Mm -hmm. But it's, um, it's a human experience, it's, it's a soul experience, it's a family experience. And I like to try and leave the family to that and not, not be involved, as I say, unless, unless that's going to be helpful. But people die peacefully. I think most people, by the time they're actually facing the last few days, are very accepting very very accepting of what's going on and you know i will ask people are you afraid um and if you are afraid what you know can we explore that and are you at peace and people generally will say i'm at peace even even young people in so um there's a lot there's a lot of reassurance out there for, for people to understand that for the most part, it can be a very beautiful experience as someone leaves their body. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and, and it's a very spiritual and momentous uh, experience. I went to see a patient a, a couple, well, last week actually, and I walked in the room and she said, did you work at St. Vincent's in Lismore? And I said, yes. And she said, you looked after my husband 17 years ago. And I thought, and she remembered 
all sorts of things in the conversation and she remembered people and I just it, it was just a nice reminder to me how important this is for yeah. family and how important it is to get it right and um, obviously and it was a very very positive experience for her and her family and um, it was just you know, it was very very humbling to hear someone yeah. say that for 17 years the mark you leave on people's life and without knowing it perhaps and, and then you're reminded at, at opportunities like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which Joe, is what covering, I Yeah, sorry, go in, yeah. Uh, sorry, forgive me, Joe. We're, we're covering some big topics and I hope you don't mind me throwing one more at you, but but voluntary yeah. assisted dying is is such a conversation in our community mm. at the moment and, and within the palliative care sector. Mm. Where's your wisdom at with this this conversation? No doubt patients and families talk to you about it, perhaps. Yeah. And, and Queensland, where you're working, is 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 down the road when it comes to voluntary assisted dying. Yeah. Where's that in your mind? Where's the share some wisdom with us? I think so. For me, it's been a real challenge, Ian. So I, I'm I have enormous respect for patients and families who choose that path. Um, I personally don't feel I would ever be able to end somebody else's life. Uh, so I, but I absolutely understand why people want voluntary assisted dying and I have, as I say, respect for it. I think it's an opportunity to say very clearly that palliative care and voluntary assisted dying are separate entities. That in, in palliative care we, we don't hasten people's lives, uh, sorry, we don't hasten, um, you know, death, that we just, someone's here, they're going to die here, we just make sure that they're really comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, so voluntary assisted dying, when the first time it happens, we're, we're six months into it, the first time it happens on the palliative care ward, the theory suddenly became real and mm -hmm. it became visceral became sort of surreal being nine o'clock in the morning knowing someone was going to die at two o'clock in the afternoon yeah and they died with the clothes they chose their family there they had the beer they had you know they died peacefully all, all the right things which you know palliative care we want people to die peacefully and um with, with care and and the same sort of voluntary assisted dying it's just the the, the, the mechanism of what, how someone dies is different so it created a lot of stress and the family wouldn't have any idea of that because of the um, professional nature of the nurses and, and the team involved and the respect for their choices um, but we really, we felt it and um, don't want to abandon patients yeah. that are known to us. We want to continue to care for patients and care for the body after the person has died and care for the family. So it's something that is sits very, very deeply with a lot of us and has enormous amount of, of reverence and I think the the challenge now is is to leave no person behind so we don't want patients to worry that they're going to be 
involuntary euthanized because voluntary euthanasia is, is now, or voluntary assisted dying is now available. So it's making it very clear that this, this is one camp, this is the other camp, it's very, very separate. So to take people who are very vulnerable and to reassure them, but, but also um, doctors and nurses and allied health who are uncomfortable with this um, are allowed to be um, to be exempt from the process mm -hmm. and their moral distress to, to, to be respected. Yeah. Um, so, it, sorry, that's quite a convoluted response, Ian, but, it, but it's, it's, a, it's a really, really difficult one and it's not theoretical when it actually happens and you see it happening and you witness it happening. It's very, very different from the theory. The, the reality of it, as I say, is visceral. Not convoluted at all. I think you sum up beautifully the, I guess the the journey we're on, both as a sector and and as a as a community, as as, yeah. as this is implemented across Australia. This is yeah. something we're working out as we go and and, yeah. and coming to terms with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Joe, I'm, I'm, one last question. I'm keen to to know how you look after yourself. You've spoken of the the power of your your work and the influence of, of palliative care. That comes with a weight, I imagine, on, on you personally, a weight mm -hmm. on your your heart and, and in your head. And here you are as we talk this morning, you're you're finishing a, a three-week run of, of work yeah. straight. You're hanging to get to the weekend and have some time off. How do you look <laughs> after yourself? What what sort of self-care routine do you have so that yeah. you look after yourself so that you can provide care to others? So I need to say that I have in the past not looked after myself, Ian, yeah. and I've been, you know, and I've been through phases where I, you know, I've had to take, uh, you know, chunks of time off work where I've done local work and things to just try and recharge my batteries. And the reason I say that is if, you know, people are working in palliative care and you're exhausted and you're feeling burnt out, you really need to look after yourself and and i've i've felt burnt out before but and i think that's such an unhelpful term because you re, you recover from it yes yeah and you know you you get rejuvenated again and surrounding yourself with good people is is uh, i one of the the fantastic things that i've been very fortunate to have in my career is that i've worked in fantastic teams in every single palliative care service i've ever worked in which is a joy when you go to work and i think now i really have to try and look after myself as i am in my 50s and so i've started doing zumba <laughs> and i absolutely love it and um i now do uh two minutes of zumba with the whole of the service via zoom <laughs> every every wednesday morning so if anyone wants to join in just let me know two minutes of zumba and everyone's on the screen we've had you know the director of services the director of nursing as well as all the palliative care team and it's just a really joyful event it's very energetic and i i do zumba twice a week and i just love it and uh and everyone else has caught the contagion so um <laughs> that's something that, that i really do and then other things you know I, got um, my little nuclear family and my dog and we go for walks and things like that so uh, I do try and look after myself but I'm not the um, I'm not the uh, pin-up girl for self-care in I would have to say but I do do my best you've learned the lessons by the sound of things and I've learned the lessons yeah and everyone else if you're struggling 
look after yourself. Look yeah, after find a Zumba class. Come and come and join me for Zumba. <laughs> Joe, a real privilege to spend this time with you this morning. Thank you so much for sharing your your wisdom and your work with us. And we look forward to seeing you at the Oceanic Palliative Care Conference in September. Uh, in Sydney, and perhaps there's a Zumba class mixed in there somewhere as well for our 1,000 delegates. You know, I'm just going to have to leave that as a surprise. <laughs> but anything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, enjoy your days off. You've worked hard for them. Thanks again for your time today. Thank you so much, Dean. Lovely. And thank you. Lovely questions. Um, yes, I hope uh, I hope that's help helps other people. Dr. Joe Doran there, and registrations are now open for the Oceanic Palliative Care Conference this September in Sydney. Uh, head to the OPCC website and I'll include a link in the show notes, of course. Thanks so much for tuning in to Thursdays at 3, whether it's via PCA socials or on Spotify and engaging with matters of life and death. You'll find advice, tools and support at the Palliative Care Australia website, where you can also make a donation to support our work. We'll talk again next Thursday. Ta-da.